Hello, this is the house on Valencia Street. I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts, the paranormal, psychic ability, LGBTQIA. Um, we talk truth here and I walk through a couple things and um, we also discuss incest, rape, uh, domestic violence, suicide, femicide, murder, uh, foster care, emancipation, uh, college, willful education, kink, BDSM, um, recovery, therapy, Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism, um, <laughs> the afterlife, um, God, ancestors, uh, let's see what else, or uh, no God, you might experience things without God, that's fine, you know, that, well, that's, um, I, I consider you equal, I, I consider that anyone should have the choice, yeah, so, uh, anything else? There's probably a couple things kinkering around. There's probably a couple things kicking around the can that I don't remember, but that's the start. Yeah. Okay. That's something. <clears throat> um, some of these topics can be triggering. So uh, I need you to use your discernment and make a decision about whether or not you might want to dive in. You might want to listen to it a little bit, see if it's got the right flavor or spice. Sometimes you can tolerate all kinds of things that are a little bit uncomfortable or crunchy if you can... Uh, you like the people you're with. Yeah. So it just depends on, you know, who you want to hang out with and listen to. Right. So, uh, let's see. Um, so if mental health stuff's kicking up for you, you should probably talk to a licensed board certified therapist, uh, someone who's got some experience with that. Um, check with two or three if you can, um, understand they may or may not be the right fit. Understand that, um, one out of four, one out of five can be very devastating to you and can be harmful. Um, if you talk about sexual abuse or any type of abuse and they attack you or they criticize you or they cause you to be really uncomfortable, that's an indicator that that's not right. And when that happened with me in 21, um, I, I was under a lot of pressure and I was engaged to this really good looking guy who was, we were both really intelligent working for these IT companies and we were the it couple and our church had given us awards at some of our Mardi Gras things. And anyway, that's another story, another part of my history. But um, the point is the wrong therapist can be devastating. Although sometimes taking years to get therapy can be devastating. So you got to run the balance around the ends. And there's a lot of great, I've had more great therapists than I've had shit therapists. So I'll just say that. <laughs> I mean, because there's probably been half a dozen therapists in 30 years that I've either been partnered with someone and we had couples counseling or um, I did it for my own work. Like my mom passed away. I, I needed a year of therapy easy. And that was, I had a really great therapist and she helped me change and, and deal with the pain. And it was fantastic. So there's lots of joy and um healing and recovery to be had certainly although use your discernment and understand that just because you the way i look at it these days if i'm paying you money and you're going to do tasks for me i'm your employer that's how i look at it these days. <laughs> and it used to be as a codependent enabler my your needs were first i didn't care if i was hiring you to work for me um with gender bias and all that stuff sometimes it's really hard to sort that out so um <clears throat> so the case being uh i want you to be safe, even for me. Okay. What, and, and also being mature makes you, makes you understand that 
you can be racist sometimes and not mean to be racist. You can be sexist sometimes, not mean to be sexist. Uh, you can be ableist, ageist, all kinds of things and not understand that it may not feel good. Or maybe we're learning about it. Like, um, you know, we're, we're growing and saying, you know, we don't say that anymore. We say something different now, right? That's just an option out there, right? So um, get yourself to a therapist if something's kicking up for you and you feel like you're a little uncomfortable. And if this stuff triggers for you, you know, pause, you know, you got options. So uh, I am not a licensed therapist. This is one person's case study. This is one person's experience. And um, I'm responsible for my mental health stuff. And so you should be too. Okay. Use your discernment. Okay. I have a website. It's anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. And uh, you can find my podcast there and my notes and you can donate and support the group or the, support the, well, in a way it is a group, my ancestors and me and a pet or two and a friend or two. So it's a small little group, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I do have a relative who has disassociative identity disorder. So when she refers to her mental health, the group is a very different definition. Okay. And um, I don't mean to have a tone of, <clears throat> sarcasm on that. It's just, um, I was really grateful that she got diagnosed and it really helped me understand her better. Although it also made me understand parts of her that scared the hell out of me that she, oh, what was it? She said, quote, there are parts of me that only want to eviscerate and have no empathy. Quote, I got a sister who says that with a straight face and means it. And you know, that's a, uh, I mean, everybody gets a little upset now and again, but I remember hearing her tell, tell me that. And I was like, I want to be supportive of her, but I was like, well, I'm running the other way, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, oh, that one, I, I, my four sisters, that's the French one. She is the meanest. I don't even, the cruelty I've experienced. Okay. I'm going to go off on that. I can do better. Uh, let's see if we can adjust here. Okay. <clears throat> Love your family, have good boundaries. And sometimes it might take some therapy to understand some shit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Whew. Okay. Anything else? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, what's the house on Valencia street? How about that? The house on Valencia street is a place in Walla Walla, Washington, where I grew up between being a child and being a preteen. Um, the house was haunted as hell, uh, heck, hell, heaven, whatever. And, um, there are four daughters that lived there. Three of us saw ghosts there. Um, all kinds of stuff was going on. But mother was on the, the edge of life or death sometimes because of Howard, the supervisor at the post office, who was partnered with her and stayed connected to her her whole life. Many times predatory people will, they don't like to give up a supply. And human beings are our supply and a source for them. If you study empathy disordered behavior, sociopathy, psychopathy, that type of thing. Uh, someone who wants to beat you to death and tells you that they want to kill you. That's Howard. Okay. Um, and he, he hadn't, uh, he got to, okay, I, I'm going to share some resentments. I think I'm going to adjust and refocus. So um, <clears throat> um, let's see. It was a really dynamic time. There was a lot of creativity uh, at this place and there were also ghosts. Uh, and as a long-term Buddhist of a few decades, um, through prayer and meditation, I was drawn to talk about this place and I was very uncomfortable in the beginning. Although as it's unfolded, this house on Valencia Street means a couple things. The main thing it means to me is uh, psychic ability exists. Um, the afterlife exists in my perception of thing. Um, I don't want to be ashamed or judged because I'm saying that. Now the thing is, I, 
you know, with my little imaginary friend that's God, as uh, Dan Savage of the Savage Love podcast refers to it, because he grew up as a Catholic, and he also still has a lot of that religion inside of his psyche and his soul, yet he also is a 17-year sex advice columnist who's gay and who also has a partner who's younger than him and a model. I mean, he's, well, yeah, he is a model. I, I mean, it's funny because I've been listening to him for so long and then I met him and he's in a, he's in a very uh, charismatic, attractive, beautiful person in a lot of ways. I don't always agree with him and some of the things he talks about, although I really appreciate the work he does. I was going along a path and an avenue and I guess I just kind of, oh, I was telling you what house on Valencia Street was. Uh, the house was haunted as fuck. Um, it was really creepy. It was traumatizing at times. Also, I had two or three very deep experiences that I didn't quite understand that took me 10, 20, 30 years to understand more better. That house had spirits to it. That house had some type of entity. There was some that was just kind of murmurs and feelings of like maybe trauma had happened in a room. But there was a conscious entity there that did things. And two of the four sisters saw the same ghost in the same room. And he was doing the same thing. And we didn't compare notes to like the last six months to a year. And it was like, was it that room? Yeah. Did he do, you know, it was like, what? This is what I saw. What? He, I saw the same. And we just were going back and forth and it was um, uncanny. So um, I don't want to be ashamed of the fact that people sometimes live through this. And a lot of times people like, um, uh, is it Jordan, Jordan Schlesinger? Jordan, uh, he advertises quite a bit, but he makes a lot of money by saying all psychics are fake. And it's always a white guy talking to another white guy talking about how all psychics are fake. And I'm like going, uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm going, no, no, uh-uh, something else going on. And uh, this is something else here. This isn't about psychics. This is about women's intuition and knowledge and power. Okay. And uh, how threatening that is and how sometimes people got to control that and judge it and shame it. Cause we could talk about the part of the Red Sea. We could talk about a burning bush. We could talk about, Hey Abraham, I got some suggestions for what you should do with your son uh, up on a mount there with a knife. And so, you know, um, and, and you know, that's saying, you know, they're saying, well, everybody should be Christian. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't know, just cause you got a different kind of fantasy that you believe. For example, impregnating a 14, a teen girl and saying, Hey Mary, you got to bear a child, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and, uh, and it was immaculate, right? No, I don't think so. Well, actually, I can't say I wasn't there. Um, and and Jesus, to me, can be just as sacred, regardless of, as a parentage. And I think that the judgments and shaming that go along with, you know, the quote, bastard quote, you know. Let's talk about, you know, well, we don't need to talk about that. Let's get focused. Okay. I'm wandering around. I hope I got the point resolved that I was trying to talk about here. Why am I talking to you? Here's why I'm talking to you today. I'm going to try to tell this story. I don't know if I'm going to do very good, but it's a pretty potent story. And um, I was talking with a person on a personal site. And for two, three weeks, we've been exchanging emails. It's kind of a low simmer. Uh, there's a big age difference. And uh, he's into kink and BDSM. I'm into kink and BDSM. And um, we have complementary roles that we'd like to explore. So we're talking. And it's kind of interesting because... Um, I'd like to meet somebody my age. I'd like to meet someone a little bit older, maybe um, a little more established. Although one thing I'll say is that sometimes in these environments where you're trying to find people to connect to, a younger person who's got 20 years less age 
is more open and receptive to things around, um, they're going to have a higher percentage chance of knowing what sexism is or racism is. Um, for example, uh, I was schooled by uh, my last lover <laughs> uh, who was younger than me because I used the word marijuana because people use the word marijuana and he's like, you know, that's racist. You got to say cannabis. You don't say that. Uh, marijuana is bad news. You know, and I was like, oh, you know, and so then I, I, I was defensive initially, but then when I explored it, I was like, okay, you know, so I'm trying to practice saying cannabis more often when I address that because marijuana has racist roots like uh, Hispanic, Latina, Latino is how they, my perception is what I've been told is that they, that's what they choose. You know, those are their words as opposed to a white guy in a boat telling them what they're going to be called. You know, they came over from Spain a long time ago, maybe. So anyway, uh, not, not to, not to slander Spain. I'm just saying that, you know, you know, they came over here and claimed the United States. It was like, there's a lot of people that were already here. Thank you very much. You know, and they had black skin and brown skin, you know, they had dark skin and, uh, they wasn't listened to very well, you know, kind of like women sometimes. Yeah. Anyway. So the reason I, and each of those is unique and each of those doesn't have to be equivocated. It's just, it's, uh, practical. Well, I don't know. I want to listen and adjust and adapt because sometimes Again, I'm going back to that concept. Sometimes people are racist and they don't know they're racist. Sometimes they're sexist and they don't know they're sexist or ableist or ageist. And I can remember in my early 20s, fresh out of foster care, going to college, an embarrassing conversation or two in college where I was really self-centered with a handicapped person. And a friend of mine was going, you know, that wasn't very kind the way you put that. You just say, I'm so lucky I have my legs. That makes them feel like crap. You don't need to say it that way. You know, and I was like, oh, you know, but I was, you know, I was going to have about 10 years of therapy ahead of me and I was just trying to survive. So although I look back at that and I go, I'm embarrassed because she was right and I wasn't very considerate. So I had to, although you know what? I learned. It was a learning experience. And also that goes back to like, we all can hurt people now and again. And sometimes we don't mean it. And I think a mature person who could take responsibility, you know, takes that on and adjusts and adapts. You don't have to be guilted or shamed into it. You don't have to feel, you know, martyr or victim, someone holding anything over you. It's just, uh, there's a lot more freedom when you can understand who you are or be responsible for who you are. Um, anyway. I digress. So here's a story. Let's see if we can get to this. Oh, and talking to this fella uh, that I met from this kink site, and uh, we've been exchanging. He's a cook. He likes to cook, and he wants to cook for me. <laughs> That's his thing. Um, he wants to maybe be nude or what have you when he cooks. Now, the thing is, I'm not saying I'm going to do this. We're just talking, see? I'm going to see if he can have a normal conversation for a while, and then maybe we can bring that up. And he's so far, so good. All right, here's a story. So in talking with this person, I was reminded of the first woman I ever kissed. <laughs> And partially because I was thinking about, <clears throat> I was looking at some pictures online that reminded me a little bit of the person, the first woman that ever kissed me. And um, I thought uh, I'd share that story because <laughs> it's LGBTQIA and it was pretty shocking. And it was like from zero to 60 the same night. So, all right, let's see. This is my goal. I'm going to see if I can get into this. Okay. <clears throat> let's set the scene here. Well, it's been a few years, although it was a little bit back in time. It was in Pullman, Washington. There's a university there, and it was my first year. I was a freshman. I think part of the reason I chose uh, 
that university was because it was nearby. And also my foster parents, my foster mom and my foster sisters, or at least half a dozen of us, took me down to the Greyhound, put me on a Greyhound, sent me up to college that way. And um, it was a really scary thing, but it was a real good thing in a way. And so I was at this, uh, I was at this, uh, I guess, does it matter? I was at a dorm hall and it was a half men, half women kind of thing. And so it had like six or seven floors and uh, the men were on this side and the women are on this side and they were separated by the lobby. And then we had the rotunda. <laughs> we got our grub at the rotunda. The rotunda was a round building, you know, and oh God, remember those, um, you get those uh, trays for food and you'd line them up. And then when you were done, you put them in those little racks and then they mechanically slowly move onto the conveyor belt to get washed. And I got to tell you, <laughs> we was bad girls. And um, I remember one night we were studying all night. I had a big, we were, it was midterms week or something like that. And so we were studying our asses off, which meant you were just, you know, sleeping four hours a day. And when you're 19, 20, 21, you got the energy to do that shit, right? So discovery and excitement and sexuality and booze or weed. It's amazing when you've been a kid and you finally get to go play. It's like, oh, well, hey, I might want to explore some of this. So uh, during Christmas time, it would get really snowy on this campus. Um, and uh, we're talking WSU. I don't, I'm trying to avoid proper nouns here to provide anonymity, but um, I guess if you know Pullman, Washington, you know WSU, uh, you get a big cougar. And actually I graduated from a different college, but uh, I started as a cougar and I prefer that mascot, quite frankly. Um, we used to take those trays at the Rotunda and it was a really hilly um, college campus. Uh, I remember they had a cartoon at Pullman in the newspaper and they had these, they showed two pictures of a college freshman from WSU and they drew a college senior from WSU. And they were just looking at their calves, their calves on their legs because <laughs> the freshman had normal sized calves. And then by the, the senior, you had like calves that were like, you know, apples or huge, big, bulbousy calves because um, the campus is just hills. It's hills. It's constantly going up. It's like billy goat, billy goat, all kinds of stairways, all kinds of stairways. So what we would do, <laughs> we get those uh, dinner trays and we take them to our room now and again. And then it was really snowing out during uh, December when it was midterms or whatever, or to uh, finals. We go outside about two or three in the morning. We wait till the cops were all gone and we take those uh, dinner trays and we climb a couple flights of stairs and then we just, it was a perfect sled. I mean, if your butt was small enough, it was a perfect sled. Now we just, we, we had a couple of crashes now and again, but I can remember one time we were out there going down the hill going, yeah, we're going down these hills. And, um, the cops came, came right around the corner as we were, and we were parallel to the cop car as we were sliding down the hill that we were going to aim into the street because there was like two or three feet of snow. <laughs> We're just like, zoom, we're going around this corner. I was like, oh shit, the cops. And it was the first time I was not in a car or it was, I was like on a sled vehicle. And I remember going, oh shit. And then I remember we ran, it was just silly stuff we used to do. Um, Tina Turner. I saw Tina Turner on that campus for the first time and she was a knockout and it blew my mind.
and um, I still have that t-shirt. <laughs> I still wear it now and again. It's about 30 years old. Anyway, so, okay, here we go. I had befriended a girl uh, named Jamie. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and name her Jamie. Um, I haven't stayed in touch with her, and it's been three or four decades. So, um, Jamie had this long brown hair that was uh, curly, and her skin was like, because Walla Walla was really... But I say racist? Yeah, racist. We didn't mix much. Or I didn't have, I wasn't around people that were black skin and brown skin growing up. And I wish I had been more so. I mean, I was around um, migrant workers, but we didn't mix, you know, and I didn't know Spanish. And I think the people I was living with and the farmers and stuff had um, biases. And I probably had some of those biases um, that I didn't really know about. I didn't really actively think racist thoughts, although... I may have absorbed some of that. I'm really glad that through therapy, I've learned more about empathy. And I might make some mistakes while I'm talking here. So I appreciate your patience. I'm uh, probably going to. So I'd hang out with Jamie some. And I can remember we just hanging out in each other's dorm rooms. And she was always straightening her hair. If we were going to go out and do anything, she had to straighten her hair. And that was going to take an hour or two. I had never seen her hair not straightened until about six months in. And I remember coming over to her, her dorm room and her hair was all ringleted and it was beautiful. And I was like, hey, you know, and um, but a lot of times she'd be straightening her hair and I'd be just laying on her bed. And we'd be bullshitting or whatever. And we'd go to classes or whatever. So um, one night she's like, hey, we're going to get together and go play poker. You want to come with us? And we're going to go over to somebody's place uh, near campus. And it's like for, you know, we were freshmen. We were frosh. We were freshmen. So this was like going to be a party at older people's, uh, you know, junior, senior people's house, like an apartment off campus which was like, whoa, you know, freedom, you know, so um, we're like, yeah, maybe we could drink, you know, and we could smoke some weed or do something naughty, you know, something like that. So she's like, yeah, I got the friends are going to line you up. Okay. So she's getting ready and she's straightening her hair and, and I didn't know what to expect. And I'm 18. I'm about two, three months. I'm about three or four months out of a foster home. Okay. I'm fresh off the farm in Walla Walla, uh, you know, Mormon foster home. And so I'm like, what's going on? I want a piece of pie. Tell me what's happening. You know, I've, I've been hanging out. Now, the thing is, uh, Jamie was kind of homophobic and we were surrounded by homophobes and people couldn't talk about being gay or lesbian. Okay. At this time or bisexual. So keep that in mind. Uh, we ended up going down to the parking lot and we get in the car and there's about four or five of us. There's two boys that I don't know. One boy's really pale. He's nearly albino. Uh, he has that kind of white blonde hair that sometimes those really pale folks to have. And um, I had a buddy growing up that was like that. She had like this ringleted hair, but she could never, she was always putting QT on her skin to make it orange, you know. And, um, well, to make it tan, but it looked more orange than not because she was so pale, you know. Anyway, um, we get in the car and I'm like, oh, hey, I don't know these people. I'm young. And it's just like a little tercel, small little thing. And there was another man there that was kind of, oh, that's right. She was kind of dating him. And then there was this really pale, skinny, kind of geeky guy. We were all kind of younger. And then there was this woman in the back seat that I didn't know. She was curvy. She was a friend of Jamie's. And she was also African-American. I think she'd been drinking before we got in the car because uh, I had never, I would not met her. And I was like, oh, hi, how you doing? And we get in the car and all the doors close. And I'm in the back seat and she, this, um, she's on one side of me. I might keep her name out of it. What could I? Goddess? Like I could just call her Goddess. I don't know what I call her. <laughs> new friend. New friend. Um, and so I've got this really skinny white guy on one side of me that's like practically albino. And then 
there's a guy driving the car uh, who's uh, dating uh, Jamie. And then I've got this new friend on the side of me that I've never met before. And she was shaped kind of like a curve. She was really like a, the goddess of Dieseldorf or is it Wollendorf? Okay, I'm, I'm not saying the right location. I apologize. But those goddess statues that were, you know, are ancient, that are really rounded and curved and like a lot of ovals and circles. She was shaped like that. Uh, she was a, a BBW. Yeah, she's a bigger girl. And um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful big eyes. And I, I liked her smile. And um, although it took me a while to get to know that because I'm in the back of this car. I'm in the, I'm on the stupid bump in the back. You know, that's like the whatever bump it is. So they got the two seats with the seat, the seat belts. I'm in the middle. And um, we're going to this party. So there's five of us all piled in this little car. So I'm sitting there and suddenly she kind of, the woman to my left, this, the goddess, the goddess I'll call her, she um, wraps her arms around me. She starts wrapping her arms around me. She goes, oh, baby, I'm a skin therapist. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was kind of like, what? Huh? That was her introduction. No name baby i'm a skin therapist let me show you and then she just starts putting her arms around me and i was like uh who, what because uh, i thought about women i'd written about women i'd written about kissing women being with women although i'd never had a woman come on to me before like this and it was and the thing is you know when you're partying and drinking and stuff like that younger you're gonna experiment possibly some somewhat you know so anyway i'm like going oh oh you know and so i remember the whole car was looking at us. Everyone was kind of like, even though they were driving, they were like, what's going on back there? I mean, it was immediate. And I didn't know quite what to do. I'd never been to that position before, you know? They were kind of like, what are they doing? And also we're kind of in a homophobic environment, uh, this college. So uh, I'm running out of time on this recording. I only have about 30 minutes. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna round this out here. Um, we'll go ahead and put in a commercial and then I'll finish the story about the goddess who is a skin therapist and decided to introduce herself to me without name in the backseat of a dark car while we was going down the street. Uh, oh my. All right, we're back. Thank you. All right. So I remember being in the back of this car, being very surprised. I didn't really understand. I mean, I, I was like, this, where'd this come from? You know, and I was trying to figure out, I'd secretly wanted to explore this but in the car at WSU in Pullman, Washington, barreling down the road in like a little compact car with five people stuck in a car that are all freshmen with maybe one junior or senior driving. And this is my immediate introduction. I mean, it didn't even take, you know, we didn't go have a couple drinks. You know, we didn't get warmed up. It was just like, bam, hello. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm in the dark here. And she's just putting her arms around me and nuzzling on me. And I'm just like, because uh, I don't, I didn't have enough room to figure out if I liked it or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, huh, huh. And then I said, and then and when I look around, then J Jamie, my buddy, was turned around. She was in the front seat. We're in the back seat. And she's looking at me like she's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" She's giving me that look, that homophobic "What the fuck are you doing?" look. Okay. And I just 
got in the backseat of a car. I didn't know that this person just started doing this to me. You know, I didn't know. And so I'm uncomfortable and they're looking in the backseat of what's going on, you know, and they're that weird tension that you get back in the eighties, <laughs> late eighties, uh, when, uh, something was in the car. I've never been a fraternity or sorority person. Uh, I haven't really gotten close. Uh, typically the people that I've chosen as friends or family or what, no, not family. Um, they needed that. I didn't need to be a member of the group. And after being an incest and rape survivor and being out of foster care and having the hard work and the effort and the applications and the IQ tests and everything it took for me to get there as a poor, wet, trash girl who's thrown away by my dad, you know, my mama's tr still trying to figure it out. It's going to take her a year or two to get straight so she can get stable enough so that we can start recovering, you know, and get healing here. This is very confusing to me, this whole scene. So, um, but I'm, I'm excited and I'm like, I want to try some of this. <laughs> we get to this, I don't know, nondescript apartment and they start playing cards. Now there's booze here and there's hard liquor here. Now I don't have a lot of experience drinking, but I had two or three drinks. And she kept saying, come back to my apartment with me. I want to show you my place. Why don't we, you want to walk me home? She kept trying to do that. And I wasn't, I was really uncomfortable and confused because they were look. they were, the person who was initiating it, they weren't focusing on her. They were focusing on me as a target. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm uh, trying to figure this out here. And um, I didn't quite get, it took me a couple drinks before I could loosen up. You know, and so I remember we were drinking and playing poker and it wasn't strip poker or anything. It was just generic poker and drinking. And Jamie was trying to get with this guy or she was kind of, I think she was having a kind of a friends with benefits or trying to explore. She had this guy she was dating. He was pretty attractive. He was pretty, uh, he had a car, you know, which was for us was a big deal. And uh, big deals, big deal. Anyway, so, <laughs> so we're getting a few drinks. And then at some point she gets kind of distracted, but she keeps focusing on me and, and I'm uncomfortable with it because everyone's looking at us like, you can't do that you can't do that. Right. So, so she ends up going, I'm going to go home. So she leaves and somehow, some way I'm drunk and I don't realize she's left. And after I had a few drinks and the evening's getting to the end of the close, I'm like, well, maybe I could see if she might still be up. And so I can remember making this phone call. I was like 18 and a half years old. I wasn't even 19 yet. Okay. I was, I should, I was legal to drink. Right? So, so I can remember being really shit faced cause I didn't have a lot of experience drinking and, um, I'd had three or four drinks and it was, it's a, fa it's a fog, it's a fog here. So I remember picking up the phone and I remember asking Jamie, can you give me her phone number? So I called her and I was like, Hey, I want to come see your place now. Can you come walk back and get me? You know? And she's like, I don't know, man, that's a long walk. It was uphill. I don't know if I want to do that. And I said, come on, you know, and it's somehow, some way I can remember these words coming out of my mouth going, Oh yeah. What's going to happen if I go to your apartment? What's she going to do? And I said it like loud enough so people could hear cause I was drunk and I wasn't being very aware of myself at that point. Cause I was drunk somehow, some way she comes back and decides to come pick me up and then walk me back to her place. This was a long ass walk. This is about a mile or two walk. And I didn't realize it at the time. But uh, we was drunk. And you know when you're drunk and you're young and you think you're bulletproof. And when you're drinking and it, you don't, it doesn't care if it's cold out. It wasn't. It was fall. It was fall. It wasn't quite winter at this time. There wasn't snow on the ground at this time. We're walking along and it's the dark. And I can remember the stars were out. And it's like you can kind of see things in that half light. There was night, night lights out, outside. But it was 
it was uh, kind of half light and I was trying to read her emotion and, and look at her, although I was having a hard time seeing her expressions. It was dark out and um, I was asking her, you know, so are you gay? Are you bisexual? Are you a lesbian? Or, you know, what, what, what's your identity? Cause we were by ourselves and nobody else was around and she wouldn't talk to me. She couldn't verbalize it. She couldn't verbalize it somehow, some way she could no name intro. I'm a skin therapist, baby. Let me show you. She did that. But now when I'm asking her when we're by ourselves, finally, I'm like, well, what are you into? You know, what, what, what's your, per cause I was bisexual. And I remember from 15, right about it in my diary, I'd met one bisexual, which was the French one. The French one, my sister is bisexual. She's closeted because her husband is homophobic and he won't admit he's homophobic, but they like to vote for Rand Paul. And, uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm working someone's inventory. Ooh, boy. I heard that. There's some pain on that one. I've been judged and shamed by that, um, sister. And I've been thinking a lot about some of the pain, uh, from some of she's done some pretty extreme, horrible things. <laughs> and I was just cursing her out the other day and then I had to pause. And then I looked over at mom's picture and I said, Hey ma, uh, I got some feelings on that. I think I'm still processing them. And then I just shift the topic, right? So anyway, that's part of the trying to keep yourself mentally focused. So anyway, um, we're walking along and I'm very excited, but I'm not very sexually experienced at this point. And I'm like, this is exciting because I might get to choose someone that I might like or that's open-minded and pursues me. And that is making it very clear they're attracted to me, which I didn't either read those signs very well or know much about it. And she wouldn't talk to me about it. I was asking her direct questions and she wouldn't talk to me. And it was confusing because I needed to know, you know, I wanted to know. So she ends up living in a study hall. She's got a hall that she's staying at. That's like a 24. It's like a quiet. So, so to get, if you want to stay at this particular study hall, either you had to be a student or a honors or something like that. This particular hall was about being quiet, right? So we go in there and it's real quiet. Also, you know, we're in a culture that's kind of racist. I believe uh, we're talking about S Southeastern Washington state, you know, the Eastern side of Washington. There's a lot of diversity if you're in pockets here and there, but uh, I'd say the majority of the farmers in my family, <laughs> my in-laws, a lot of homophobes. Okay. So um, we're surrounded by it. This is a land grant university surrounded by wheat fields. You know, WSU is a town of about, mm, Okay, 15,000 students, and the town has maybe 5,000 people, and that's all focused on the university, right? So, and going in and going out is going to be flat or kind of slightly rolling hills of wheat and farm stuff, and a lot of white, not white, um, you know, wheat, um, things like that. So, we're going back to our apartment, we finally get into our apartment, and we're drunk. We're drunk, and we're 18, 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got this little, you know, there it's a dorm room, it's a box. Um, although we will go in and okay, this is the first time I've ever seen it like this. So she turns on the light. The walls are covered with like all these uh, magazine pictures of women, athletic women, uh, tennis stars, uh, racing track and field. Um, they were all just women athletes. They all of her walls. There were like four walls entirely covered with magazines of women athletes, and about half black, half white. It was mixed and um, or black skin, brown skin, um, maybe other. There's more variety there that I may not be conveying. Um, but it was like a whoa, and then I, I it took me a while to realize everybody's female. 
these pictures and they're all women. Okay. The, the, like, I just, that's redundant, but they're all athletes, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, and I'm drunk and I'm, this is a new experience. She was wearing this red sweater and she had these breasts that were probably about the size of her. They were big. They were probably small melon, uh, you know, maybe like a cantaloupe, maybe size. And she kind of was, mm, back then they'd wear like polo shirts with sweaters and um, it was more like preppy kind of. And she had that look kind of with her clothes. And um, we finally kind of tumble into bed and I'm giggling and laughing and I'm trying to figure it out. I probably was obnoxious, but we were both laughing and giggling. And we were about, and I remember we were giggling and laughing, trying to figure it out in bed, rolling around in the dark. And, and um and it was kind of exciting and scary because I was like, oh, my God, I just got here. What is this? You know, what is this experience here? So we're trying to figure it out. We're drunk. And uh, at some point, about two or three in the morning, one of the people in the hall came and pounded on our door because we were making too much noise. And there's a bam, bam, bam. And it was just like, <gasps> you know, and it wasn't just like a little bit like a, your neighbors are making noise and you're upset. It was like a there's two women in there. What are they doing? It kind of had a different energy to it. And I might've been projecting this because I was afraid. I was excited and afraid. And, um, I remember they pounded on the door, like shut the fuck up, you know, kind of, they didn't say anything, but they're like, you're making too much noise. Bam, bam, bam. And then they we opened up the door and nobody was standing there. They just went and pounded on the door and then they left. So we were like, Oh, so then we started whispering, right? And that fear, that homophobia, that, you know, it's real and it's palatable and it's dangerous. Okay. Being out was dangerous. Right. So I remember, uh, he kind of started taking off clothes. I really wanted to, I was really curious about what was under her sweater and she, she was kissing me and touching me. And, and I said, well, are you gonna take off your sweater? You know? And she goes, Oh, I'm going to keep you a virgin. I'm going to do you. I'm going to keep my clothes on, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep you a virgin from that. I'm going to do you. And I'll pause. This person has said two things to me that nobody's ever said to me. <laughs> I've never heard someone say, I'm going to sexually do you, but keep you a virgin. Because I think what she meant to say was, I'm uncomfortable with my body. And I'm not comfortable sharing that with you, but I was very curious and I was in bed with her because I wanted to touch her body, you know, and, and, um, she was, uh, scared maybe, or, or I don't know. I, I wanted, I wanted to touch her too. You know, I was like those breasts. I mean, I just, I just wanted to just be around them and of them and in them and lose myself in them. And I couldn't, she wouldn't give me access. <laughs> I was like, oh, and, um, oh, it was so frustrating. And so, I remember I ended up taking off my pants and I remember um, she went down on me, you know, and uh, we were kissing and stuff, but it was a little fumbly and awkward and we were drunk and I was young and she was eating my pussy and I, it, I'd had orgasms by myself, but I didn't have much privacy and I, I'd masturbated by myself some as a teenager, but you know, this was uh, with somebody else sex, not just by myself sex. I know. Um, uh, it was a bit, uh, f uh, quick for me. I wasn't, I I'd never, I, I don't think I'd ever had anybody eat my pussy before. Um, and, uh, uh, even when I'd had sex, 
once or twice before this. And um, they were fumbly experiences that were first time experiences that are as good as first time experiences with sex tend to be. So uh, I remember I liked being in a room and it was nice when the lights were out and I felt like I was um, lost in something and it was reckless. Like I was on some boat in some kind of choppy water. I was getting lost and it was like, I'm hanging on and this is an adventure, but I'm scared as hell. And I remember I was nervous and it was strange and it was quick for me for her to be down there. And, um, cause I couldn't quite come. I, I masturbated, but I kind of forced it. And so I did have an orgasm and it was nice to share that with her, but it was kind of quick and I had questions and stuff. And, um, and I wanted to touch her, but she wouldn't let me. And so we were cuddling and giggling and laughing. And, and I was frustrated because she wouldn't let me touch her under her clothes. And um, I remember the sun coming up and I remember that pound, pound, pounding on the door. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, that kind of energy. And I was scared and I was maybe a little homophobic myself. Um, I don't think it was about race. It was more about gays being gay. And, um, I wanted to get home. I wanted to get out of there before people saw me leave there, uh, because they had come pounded on the door and I was scared. I didn't know what was waiting for me out there, you know? And, um, so I remember getting ready to go and she's like, you can stay here. We can go get breakfast and go down the, you know, she was like, wanting to have me stay. And I wasn't comfortable. I was like, I think I'm going to go home, you know? And also I wasn't getting to touch her breast, and I really wanted to touch her breast. <laughs> I don't know if I verbalized that as well as I am right now, but I just was like, I have to touch that. Please let me get close. You did me. Can I do it? No, I'm going to keep you a virgin, baby. I didn't understand that. I did not understand that. So then um, I can remember walking home or leaving and walking home and it was really cold outside. It was like a two or three mile walk and it was a hard walk. And I remember just feeling frustrated and tired and confused. And like I got hit by a truck. It felt like that. And, um, um, then afterwards, this is homophobia here for you. Okay. This is telling you, I, I was sensing danger and it was real. Okay. So I go home and I'm crashing, you know, cause it's, you know, college life or whatever. And then I get together with Jamie and Jamie, the first thing out of it, what did you do with her? What did you do with her? Did you go to bed to her? Yeah, I mean, she was on me. Okay, I'm going to pause. Homophobia is homophobia. Yeah. And I don't know, it's probably going to be different in, I think racially sometimes there's different energy around it. For example, I've heard of the phrase on the down low before. Uh, and I've heard that associated with people who are uh, black skin, brown skin sometimes who will have uh, gay or lesbian relationships. Um and this may be outdated information and I could learn. So I apologize if I'm offensive, I don't mean to be. And I'm open and receptive to feedback. Okay. Um, respectful feedback. Uh, so, um, so there seemed to be this like Uber, don't you fucking do that. You know? Um, and I was getting these mixed signals from the goddess, but Jamie, was aggressively on top of me. And she was like, what the hell did you do? Did you do anything with her? Were you, were you, you can't be, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's fucking wrong. If you were doing that. And it was like, really my friend, I'd been friends with her for a few months and we were really enjoying each other. And then this thing happened and, um, it ruined our friendship. 
Okay, because um, she was like suspicious and it was like why couldn't we just be together because we wanted to be together that wasn't happening then see so i got together with her for a few more times um and i remember trying to talk to the goddess about this but she couldn't talk to me directly and i remember seeing her around the dorm now and again in passing and i remember one time we were in passing and she was with a friend of hers and a friend, they were hanging out, and her, she was being quiet because she couldn't talk to them. And she had, she sent her friend to come over and talk to me. And she said, I just wanted you to know that my friend likes you and would like to still get together and do things with you if you'd like to get together and do things with her. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks for telling me. But I didn't reach out anymore. And why? Because Jamie was telling me, you better not fucking do that. Okay. And because I was getting aggressive, fearful criticism from her, my my friend that introduced us. And I'm getting the shit, not not her, the person who initiated it. I'm getting the shit, and I I was just in the back of the car, right? So I think I could have done that better, maybe some. I don't know if I could have done. It. I would have tried, maybe. Um, although there were some other people not being responsible for their actions, and there were some other people being homophobic and aggressive, and I I was shown I had to keep it quiet, and I had to keep it shut, and it was wrong, and it makes me sad because. I think back to that experience, the first time that anybody beat my pussy, you know, or anything, you know, and um, it was nervous and tense, and it was rushed, and it was drunk, and I didn't quite, I was nervous, you know, it was what first time experiences are like a lot of times. Um, but I guess I wish I had more. Looking back, if I hadn't had my one of my best friends, Jamie, you know, aggressively saying, "You better not fucking do that." Um, I couldn't tell her that. And she couldn't tell me about her orientation. She had to have a friend come tell me because she wouldn't come tell me. She was sitting right in the same hall. We were just maybe 20 feet from her and she couldn't come over and tell me that. She had to have a friend come over and tell me that. So the dynamics were confusing and the level of maturity you would expect, right? So although I look back on that and I feel a gratitude to the skin therapist because um, it was kind of a magical experience in a way and I'm still talking about it. I mean, I don't think about it all that often, but... Uh, talking with my BDSM new new friend I've been writing, who's the cook, the naked cook, potentially. Um, uh, he, uh, I was thinking about taboo. I was thinking about you can't do that, you know, and um, I guess I kind of grieve or mourn that part a little bit, you know. So this is for the goddess with the nice skin that I like to touch and the way she smelled and her red sweater and her polo collar on her sweatshirt or her t her shirt underneath her sweater. I guess I'd like to go back. I mean, I, you can't do that things over, but maybe we could have been friends, you know? Maybe if she hadn't known that Jamie was telling me in no shape, way, or form, you can't fucking do that, then maybe we could have known each other better, you know? <laughs> I think every once in a while we find ourselves in those situations where suddenly everybody's looking at you, you didn't do anything, someone's targeting you, and you're like, now I got to explain the situation when I'm just sitting here? You know what I mean? So, um, anyway, this is for the goddess. My first kiss from a woman, the skin therapist. And um, that was just lit up in me. I thought, I can tell the story now. Although, I'll give it a list, give this audio a listen and see if it's very coherent because I nearly took an hour, didn't I? Well, hey, thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street where sometimes we explore first time experiences, things you could have done better. Uh, learning about race and uh, orientation and gender. 
um, first time experiences being floppy or sometimes, uh, you know, thinking you could have done it better, but also being grateful that that's what those experiences are, you know? And if you listen to Dan Savage of the Savage Love Cast, he's really good at, I, um, there's things sometimes where I kind of have to stop listening. I go, I'm not on the same page with you, but many times he offers these advice options. Like, you know, it's okay to have a shorter term relationship or it's okay if you are in a couple and you want to experience a threesome, you can go approach a sex worker and hire them for that experience, which simplifies things. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. Go do what you want to do. And then it, it makes it less complicated. It makes it real concise. It's not going to be an emotional attachment because this is this person's job, you know? And so thanks for listening to that. And um, I hope the goddess, I hope wherever she is, I think I'd probably say thank you to her. At the time, I was very uncomfortable, but uh, I'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with her, just see how she's doing, you know? Anyway, thank you for listening to my story tonight at the house on Valencia Street, uh, where you can be a survivor, you can heal, and you can talk about having love sometimes or intensity or sexuality and, and how sometimes you can look back and go, okay, live through that. Now I got a more mature voice or culture's changing or I'm not going to apologize for who I am right now. So, all right. Thank you for listening to that here at the house on Valencia street. I want you to know you're not alone. You're never alone. And, um, sometimes it's whether you like it or not. There's an alligator swimming down the street. Oh, there's an alligator swimming down the street. Uh oh, there's an alligator swimming down the street. Oh, it looks big like a little creep. Oh, there's an alligator swimming down the street. Orlando's under 10 feet. Uh oh, there's an alligator swimming down the street. That's my ditty, that's my sweet. Oh.